So turn in your study Bibles to the first epistle of John, 1 John chapter 1. The easiest way to get there, if you're not all that acquainted with your Bible, is to start in Revelation and work backwards. All you've got to do is pass through Jude, and you get to the first three epistles of John. That's how I get there. And a reminder, you know, every time I preach, you guys soon will be able to say this in unison with me. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. There is a progression in that. There is teaching. There's instruction. That's that's one of our jobs as fathers. There's reproof. There's identifying sin, and then there's correction. There's changing course, and then that's training in righteousness. So we rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Do that over and over again. And know this also, that there's only one proper interpretation in Scripture, and so Bible study is very important. No prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation, Peter tells us, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's not what does it mean to me, it's what is the author communicating to me. And the author is the Holy Spirit, who superintended these human authors so that through their individual personalities and their different styles of writing, they composed and recorded God's word to man without error in whole or in part. So let's bow in prayer and let's ask God for that. Let's ask God to work in our hearts and our minds as we open up his word and as we look at what he has to tell us about the person of Jesus Christ. We bow with me, Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to come at this place and gather together to worship you and to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are dependent upon your Holy Spirit. You tell us we've not, that we have received not a spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And so our prayer is that your Holy Spirit will do that in our hearts and in my minds, work in my heart and in my mind so that I might communicate only that which is true and comes from you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so this summer series and probably is going to go into fall and who knows winter, uh, the preach team is going to be we have different guys teaching from different books, right? So we've already started that process. So Matt Wolfbrot has been bringing to us a message from 2 Corinthians. Um, Stephen Conti has been bringing us messages from Colossians. And so my assignment, and we're going to start that this morning, is the book of 1 John, the first epistle of John. Now hopefully, and I said this before, hopefully what you're going to see is how they're all intertwined. It's great because it all points to the person of Jesus Christ. And so even though we're going to be going from different books throughout the series, hopefully what we'll see is the congruency in all of that. And I encourage you to read 1 John. It was only five five chapters throughout the week. Um, uh, But it's rich in theology and it's full of application. Remember, Although the Apostle John is the author, the, the, author the, the, the author is the Holy Spirit who works through John, through his writing style and through his personality to communicate his truths um, to us. Um, you're, you're familiar with the Apostle John. He and his brother, James, were fishermen. 
Um, they, Jesus in the shores of, at the shores of Galilee calls them to come and follow him. And remember their, profess, their profession as fishermen. They know a fish story from the truth. They do know that. Christ refers to them, to James and John, as the stones of thunder. They're ready to call down fire from heaven to destroy the Samaritans because the Samaritans opposed them as they were taking a shortcut to get to Jerusalem. He's an eyewitness. John's also an eyewitness of the transfiguration um, of Jesus. And he's an eyewitness, really, to the miracles and, and to the life and work of Jesus Christ from the beginning of his ministry um, through his death and resurrection. And John refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Of course, Jesus loved all of his disciples, yet John expresses this keen awareness of the love of Christ, the love John emphasizes in this epistle as he connects the love of God with the love that we're to have for one another. And John is the one who stands at the foot of the cross, too. And Jesus gives, asks him to take care of Mary. And he, with Peter, are the first to run to the tomb from the report from the women about the empty tomb. So John, and I'll refer to the gospel. John's the writer of the gospel of John. He writes these three epistles, and he writes the book of Revelation. And I'll be making some reference to the gospel, because you really can't separate that um, from this epistle. John's audience are fellow believers. In chapter 5, he says, I'm writing these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So his audience are fellow believers. His relationship to these believers, and it's kind of appropriate that we, that we start this series today on Father's Day, his relationship is like that of a father to them, a spiritual father to them. He says, my little children, he addresses them seven times. Six times, he says, beloved. John sees his relationship as that of the spiritual father to them, a household of which he is a part. And he identifies him later in the second and third epistle as the elder. John models this fatherly role in his relationship with these believers. You know, in this church, we talk with the guys, we talk about, we've taken the four pillars of man's heart from Stu Weber's book, and we talk about the, those pillars, the rules that that God has assigned to us as men, whether as men, husbands, fathers. I think, I think just reading through this book, I see, I see that, John expressing that. Um, he's a visionary and a provisionary, right? He's the servant king. So he writes with purpose and intentions. Four times he says, we are writing these things so that, so that your joy may be complete. In chapter 2, so that you may not sin. Again in chapter 2, I'm writing these things to warn you of false teachers. I'm writing these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life, chapter 5. It's like I watch Riley with Collins, and he says, hands on, is, how do you say it? Hands on face? Hands on face. Hands on face. You know, he, she puts her little hands on his face, or he puts his hands on her face. He's, that's what John's doing. It's like a father. Hands on face. I'm writing these things to you. Hands on face, right? So that you may know. And he keeps before them the main thing, the person of Jesus Christ. Or walk in relationship both with God and with one another. Also the role of a father is to be a protector, right? We, we talk about the tender warrior. He warns these believers of false teachers. Chapter 2, I'm writing these things to you 
about those who are trying to deceive you. My little children, let no one deceive you, he says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, he says in chapter 4, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. As with all false teachers, these false teachers, then as in today, deny the person of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ. And we'll talk a little bit more about um, that false teaching next week as we continue our study. Thirdly, as a father, that fatherly role, he's a coach, he's an instructor, he's an encourager. That's what we're to do as fathers in our home. He reminds his readers that the gospel of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has been proclaimed, is constant and unchanging. They don't need added knowledge that's being proclaimed to them by these false teachers. Let what you've heard from the beginning, John says, abide in you. He also provides them with reassurance of their position in Christ. You know, false teachers can be unsettling. It's never blatant. It's always mixing a little bit of false in with the true. And so you hear it, it can be unsettling. But he provides encouragement to them. By this we may know that we are in Christ, John says in chapter 2. And he provides instruction, right? As dads, that's what we do. We provide instruction constantly throughout this epistle. He is providing instruction. Do not love the world or the things of the world in chapter 2. Beloved, let us love one another, he says in chapter 4. And then finally, he is a faithful friend. He is connected. And we've already talked about that. As a father, he is connected to these believers. And he expresses a genuine love for them. And he includes himself as part of the community. As you read through this epistle, you'll see him saying, we, we, our. He includes himself in this community of faith. John has a fatherly love for these fellow believers, and his desire is to see them to walk in the light of God's word in relation both to God and to one another. And Dad, let me remind you that this is the role that God has assigned to each of us as fathers in our homes, in our relationship to our wife, and to our children. So let's read. We'll read the first chapter. I'm only going to, um, we're only going to spend time this, this morning on the first four verses, but let's read the first chapter together. It's not that long, and let's, let's read it. Um, first John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Here's the main point. And if you have the outline um, before you, um, I don't have any fill-in-the-blank. Sorry, I find the fill-in-the-blanks a little distracting because I'm trying to get the right word that's in the blank and then I miss the whole thing. So I know some of you, I've heard some people say, no, I like the fill-in-the-blank. It helps me concentrate. So hey, we're, we learn differently, right? Um, but here, here's the main point that I, of today's message is this. As followers of Jesus Christ, there is great joy that comes from a restored relationship we have both with God and with one another. A restored fellowship that comes exclusively through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. You know, God's taken the initiative as he has taken on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, an historical fact that has been attested to by a multiple of eyewitnesses. And yet seeing is not believing because man's problem is not a head problem. It's a heart problem. And so John begins this epistle by saying, that which was from the beginning. Now John gives us an introduction to that which was from the beginning in introducing us to the person of Jesus Christ in his gospel. So if you back up to the gospel, how does John open up the gospel? He opens up the gospel like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John continues in verse 14 of of that first chapter of his gospel. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So he introduces us to the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Fully God, fully man. And then John closes his gospel in, in chapter 20. He says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, all that's contained in here in this gospel, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, le- by believing, you may have life in his name. Um, on the back of your handout, if, you've got, if, you, if you have a handout, on the back of the handout is our doctrinal statement, the portion of the doctrinal statement on the person of Jesus Christ. It's not for you to read now. I just want to point it out. You know, in our, in our, in our study on, on, on Wednesday, as we break out in the groups, it, it would be probably a good exercise just to go through this. And we, you probably don't pick up our doctrinal statement on a very regular basis at all, but it's good to go through that and say, who, who do we hear at Community Bible Church? Who do we believe is the person of Jesus Christ? And I think I put it on the back for you to take home. You can look at it, and um, it's also on our on our. On website, take a look at that. Here's the first observation. The Christian faith has as its object the person of Jesus Christ. That which was from the beginning. The object of the Christian faith is not a creed 
nor a philosophy. The object of the Christian faith is the person of Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwell among us. The good news, the gospel of the Christian faith, is that God has reconciled man to himself through the sinless life and the atoning death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And throughout this, John is referring back to that person, the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes. There's no reconciliation. There's no fellowship. No one comes, Jesus says, to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. God has revealed himself in creation. Psalm 19, Romans 1. God has revealed himself through his word. We have his written word. God has most perfectly revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. John goes on to say that the person of Jesus Christ is a reality that can be attested to by a multitude of eyewitnesses. Just if you, if you had your Bible and you just circled the we and the our in these, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with, our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. The Christian faith, or the Christian faith is, is, is in the person of Jesus Christ, a real person whose life, death, and resurrection can be substantiated by a multitude of I witnesses. You know, I said this, John wasn't one to believe just anything, right? He was a fisherman. How many fish, fish tail? I, 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 my grandfather used to take us fishing all the time. I loved it. But, and, and hunting, I, I remember hunting. Um, the, we'd take the guys with us, and they'd always come back with stories. They weren't fish stories, they were deer stories. And they'd tell these stories about deer they saw that I thought, no way. I was sitting right next to you and I didn't see that. John knew the difference between a fish story and a real story. In fact, even after all the time he spent, and, and here's the thing, even after all the time he spent with Jesus during Christ's earthly ministry, and even after Jesus had repeatedly told his disciples that he would suffer, he would die, and he would be resurrected, John did not believe that Jesus had been resurrected until he saw him, saw Jesus face to face. And so I, when I read these words, my mind runs back to our study in Luke of the resurrection. You remember that? Mary Mag it's early in the morning before light. Mary Magdalene and a number of other women, they go to the tomb and they find the tomb empty. What's the first thing they conclude? That he's risen? No. Somebody's stolen the body. Mary Magdalene runs, she tells Simon Peter and John. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. That was her conclusion um, from seeing the empty tomb. And we don't know where they've laid him. The other women, they remain at the tomb while Mary runs to tell the disciples. And two angels tell them about the resurrection. He's risen. Simon, Peter, and John, they run to the tomb and they find the tomb empty. 
just as Mary had reported. And John gives this account in his gospel. Listen to this. Then the other disciple, he's referring to himself, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and he believed. Believed what? Believed the tomb was empty. They must have taken the body. For as yet, this John says this, as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples, that's Peter and John, went back to their homes. They can go back and tell everybody else. They went, they went home. And so after they leave home, Mary, they've all still has the same conclusion. They've taken the body. We don't know where Jesus is. She encounters two angels who ask her why she's weeping. And she replies, they've taken away my Lord. This is still what they're believing. They've taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they've laid him. And having said this to the two angels, she turns and she sees a man who she believes is the gardener. And she says, where, where have you taken him? And this gardener calls her by name. She realizes it's Jesus. The first face-to-face encounter with the risen Lord is Mary Magdalene. She goes to the disciples and she says, I've seen the Lord. The other women, they also who meet Jesus face to face, and they go to report to the disciples, hey, he's alive, we've seen him. That same day, two disciples are walking the road to Emmaus. Jesus kind of comes alongside. They don't know who he is. They're talking to him. He reveals himself to us. They've seen him. They run all the way back. They go all the way back from Emmaus, back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples. And where are the disciples? Well, they're hiding, um, they're disbelieving, and they're frightened. And then, remember, if you remember in Luke, in chapter 24, now I want to connect this to, to what we're seeing John say here. I get the emotion of this. As they disciples were talking about these things, all these things, it's been a long day. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. They thought they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See, see my hands and my feet. That is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved, for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate it before them. Ghosts don't do that. Manifested himself. That's what, Paul, that's what John says when he says, And he manifested himself to us. Then Jesus says to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You, Jesus says, are witnesses to these things. The Apostle John was with Christ throughout his entire ministry, saw many Many miracles. Once he says so much that you couldn't even, if you wrote them all down in a book, you'd fill a library, overfill the libraries. But what changed him was seeing the resurrected Lord. And so now 
as he's coming and writing to these believers in this epistle, he says, that which was from the beginning, Jesus Christ, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked upon and touched with our hands. You know, most often, most often, and, this, and I think, I've always thought this, I was thinking about this, most often we think of eyewitnesses, those, only those who believed, right? An eyewitness is just some, it's people who believed and, and, are, and are giving proclamation to it. But listen to me, the words and the works of Jesus were not done in secret, secret or by secret revelation to a single individual. They were done in public before a multitude of eyewitnesses. Both those who believed in the truth claims of Jesus and those who rejected the truth claims of Jesus. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is in chains. He's a prisoner and he's given a defense before Festus and King Herod Agrippa II. Listen to what Paul says to King Agrippa. And as he, that is Paul, was saying these things in his defense, Festus set out, said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, no, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things. He says, King Agrippa, King Herod, he knows about this. And to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. This isn't in secret. This is the works of Christ. The words of Christ were witnessed by multitudes of people. All the religions of the world are based upon a special or this added revelation that's only been revealed to this individual prophet. But not so with the writers of Scripture, who each write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and no one author records any writing that supersedes or contradicts that of any other writer. The writers of the New Testament Scripture wrote as eyewitnesses or as sources from eyewitnesses, like Dr. Luke. He was a source. His source was from eyewitnesses that that he interviewed. Peter says this, for we do not follow, we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we make known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we are eyewitnesses of his majesty. You know, when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we should commend, hear that word, commend and not condemn a person who questions the validity of the Christian faith. God is an intelligent and rational being. And man has been made in the image of God. Therefore, man is an intelligent and rational being. Paul says, I'm speaking truth and rational words. True and rational words. The fact that a person demands evidence to support the truth claims is itself a reflection of the image of God. And so, we should boldly defend the truth of God's word, based upon the evidence that has been given to us by these eyewitnesses' accounts. Life is lived within the context of history. How we make sense of the here and now, this very moment, is determined by an accurate understanding of history. 
Therefore, every person lives by faith. They trust in something. So trust in something or they trust in someone. Man's not omnipresent and he's not omniscient. Only God is omnipresent and omniscient. Therefore, each of us must rely on the, on, on the testimony of an eyewitness when we're dealing with historical facts. This is why the deceiver Satan works to redefine history. And trust me, that is happening before your very eyes today. Didn't the enemy say, well, did God really say? Always questioning history. The question every man must answer is not, do I have faith? But in who or what am I trusting in? The Christian faith is not a blind faith. The Christian faith is an informed faith. It is true and it is rational. And the object of the faith is the person of Jesus Christ. And yet again, seeing is not believing. Because man's problem is not a head problem, but a heart problem. The Jews um, in, John, in the Gospel of John chapter 10 came to Jesus and they said, How long will you keep us in suspense? And Jesus has done all of these works publicly. How long will you keep us in suspense? Just, if you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do, I do in my Father's name. Bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Only the Holy Spirit can bring about new birth and bring to life that which is spiritually dead. And so as we share the gospel with those around us, we have full assurance that the Holy Spirit will do that. All we need to do is be obedient in sharing the gospel with those around us. And so John says, he reiterates, as he says, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. The life the word of life, the word, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, that is the person of Jesus Christ. Christ is eternal life. Jesus, in his prayer, his priest, high priestly prayer to his father, says this in John 17, and this is eternal life. Jesus defines it. This is eternal life, that they may know you. No, no, restored relationship, a personal relationship with God through Christ that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John, here in chapter 5 of this epistle, says this. He says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life life. And so John reminds them of the person of Jesus Christ and the proclamation that he's made to them and given to them in, in, in the gospel. And, he's, and the outcome of this, he gives us in verse, verse 3, he says, so that, that which you've seen and heard we proclaim to you, so that. Every time I read through my Bible and I see a so that, I've had it. They circle that. Circle, circle, circle. What's being said has a purpose. It means this. I always circle that so that I know what, what, what is trying to be communicated. So that 
you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Third observation from this text. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of reconciliation. It is through faith, trust in the person of Jesus Christ that fellowship both with God and with one another is restored. So what is fellowship? You no, know, uh, the preach team was talking and like, hey, got a definition for fellowship? I thought about we I take that we take that word for granted when we see when we think when we say especially in, in the Christian community. Oh fellowship, yeah, with the fellowship hall. We talk about fellowship. What's fellowship? Look, so one thing came to my mind really quickly. You're going to a restaurant. This has happened to every one of you. You come into this restaurant, and they're seating everybody. And so you see this couple over here sitting together. They're sitting side by side. They're talking together. And you're like, wow, that's kind of neat. And you see this couple over here. They're sitting across from one another. They're communicating, but I don't know who with. It's kind of like this. And you, right? You see, listen, I know it because I've said, you see entire families that go out to eat, to fellowship around the table, and they're all. Well, that's, so what a contrast. That's what fellowship is not. Fellowship is not that. Fellowship is that couple, that family that are sitting around the meal, and they're talking together, they're communicating, they're getting to know one another through their communication. Fellowship is a one another relationship that two or more individuals shares. Paul uses this, the Greek word is a koinia, and he uses the same word in Philippians. Now, here's the, and in fact, I think this is a great definition. If you need a definition of fellowship, write this down, Philippians 1. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation, that's the word fellowship there, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. Sounds like John talking, right? Talking about his joy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord, that's full agreement, and being of one mind. That's what fellowship is. And when we communicate together around the table and we're talking, hopefully that's what, where that is moving. If it doesn't, it moves more to this. This is, a, this is the family that's not one-minded and that's not in one accord. Right? So that's the definition. God exists in the Trinity. Three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity exists throughout eternity, past and present, in perfect fellowship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God did not create man because he was lonely and lacked fellowship. There was perfect fellowship in the triune God. In creation, God created man to reflect that perfect fellowship that exists in the Trinity. God created them, both male and female. In the image of God, he created them. Together, together we walk in fellowship with God. And together we walk, they walked, they walked, Adam and Eve, they walked in perfect fellowship with God, and they walked in perfect fellowship with one another. It wasn't just Adam and God, and it wasn't just Eve and God. By God's design, Adam and Eve walked, walking in perfect fellowship with one another in the union of marriage, they walked in perfect fellowship with God. God. 
And God told them to be, be fruitful and multiply. That's the family, right? So there's that fellowship within the family. And fill the earth, a community of families. This was God's design, a community of families that would be in fellowship with one another within community. So what happened to break fellowship? In a word, sin, right? We'll define that next week, okay? But sin is what breaks fellowship. It has broken fellowship. And sin not only broke man's fellowship with God, but it destroyed the fellowship that Adam and Eve shared together. Hear me on this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Although you probably go, no, I've heard that a hundred times. Sin always separates and isolates. That's what sin does. That's the business of sin, to separate and to isolate man from God and man from one another. Genesis 3, you know the story. Adam and Eve of sin. And so the writer picks up saying, and, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is after they've sinned. They made a choice. We're going to disobey God, okay? And the man and the, man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. Let me suggest this. They didn't hide together. Let me just suggest that. It doesn't say that, but I'll tell you why I think that. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, Adam said, I, I. Now notice this transition to I, 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 I. I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I command you not to eat? The man said, mm, the, the woman that you, that you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, oh, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Adam demonstrates a broken fellowship with God as he hides himself from God. Adam isolates himself. He hides Adam moves from a God-centered perspective to a self-centered perspective. Did you hear all the eyes in there? And Adam demonstrates the broken fellowship he had with his wife as he blames her for his disobedience. She's, she's the problem, he says. And really, ultimately, just to, just to solidify his separation from God, ultimately blames God. It's the wife that you gave me. In one self-justification of his sin, Adam identifies himself as a victim. Hear me on this, and teach your teenagers this. This is the whole culture. Everything you see on TV is about you're a victim, you're a victim, you're a victim. This is the foundation of a secular worldview right here in Genesis. He identifies himself as a victim. He blames his wife, and ultimately he blames God. For his sin and for his problems. That's why I don't think they were hiding together. I think they hid themselves, but I wasn't like Adam was just sitting there with Eve going, oh, we're sorry. He was like, it was her. Elbly, it was you. And let me just put in a little warning here. A little, okay, guys, this guy talk, okay, guys? Do not be that man, and don't listen to that man 
who wants to blame his problems, his marriage problems, on his wife. Don't follow that narrative. You know what that man is doing? That man is blaming God. That's what he's doing. Don't listen to that story, and don't be that man. Amen, men? Amen. Sin separates us from God. And sin separates us from one another. Yet John reminds his readers that God has reconciled man to himself through the person of Jesus Christ. So that you too may have fellowship with us, John says. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. This is radically good news. It's not just, that, not just the reality that our relationship with God has been restored, but that our relationship with one another has been restored so that you may have fellowship with us, John says. And it's only because God has forgiven us of our sin that we can forgive one another when we sin against one another. And this is the main point of, I think, of the epistle. So if you hear nothing, okay, hear this. So if you made it this far, I, um, I'm going to wrap it up. We've got to go. If you heard, if you hear, if, here's the point. The fellowship we have with God cannot, 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 cannot be disconnected from the fellowship we have with one another. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves, that is one another, has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love, that is one another, does not know God, because God is love. I call this the one another truth. This is the one another truth. It applies both in our homes and in this home, in our family of families here at Community Bible Church. In the home, listen to Peter, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to, your, to the woman as the weaker vessel, the more fragile, the more, uh, the more delicate, the more precious vessel, since they're heirs with you and of grace of life, so that, so that, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You can't, uh, we can't claim that we walk in fellowship with God and not have a God-honoring relationship with our wife. It's impossible. You can't disconnect them. And it applies in this family of families here at Community Bible Church. So, Christ says, if you're, if you're offering your gift at the altar, there's a form of worship, right? If you're, if you're coming to worship, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift of worship. You cannot disconnect a fellowship with God and a fellowship with one another. You know, in, the, in this preaching series, so Matt in um, opening up for us in uh, 2 Corinthians, um, that one, one of the truths that, that he gave us was that as recipients of God's mercy, we are, in, we are in fellowship with the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. So that, why? So that we may be able to comfort one another. That's what Paul says to the Corinthians. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. Stephen Conti, in, in his message in, in Colossians, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, 
towards God? No, he's saying towards one another. Kindness towards one another. Humility in relation to one another. Meekness in our attitudes towards one another. And patience, not with God, with one another. Bearing with one another. And if one hasn't complained against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you almost, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love towards one another, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. There's that one another connection. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do in relation to one another, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We who are in Christ express that through our love in a relationship with one another. Listen, we, we, have a, we have some new families in our church, and let me just say this to some of our new families. There's going to be an offense. You're going to be offended. I mean, that's just the way it works in families. If that doesn't happen in your family, you got the perfect family. It happens in our families, and so it's going to happen in our family of families. So... At some point, if you stay around me long enough, I'm going to offend you. I will offend you. But you know what? You know what the neat thing is? You know, don't you get frustrated with the fact that, oh, I hate all this. I hate this strife. I hate, I, I, it's, just, it's so troubling. Every time, every time there is an offense, think of it this way and teach your kids this, dads. Every time there's an offense, there's an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to simply live out the gospel. What is the gospel? It's forgiveness and reconciliation, right? That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So every time we have a chance, every time we offend one another, we get a chance to proclaim the gospel. Uh, we have one of two choices. We can either hide and isolate ourselves. And I'll tell you what, that's exactly where the enemy wants us, and that's no fun. Or we can be reconciled to one another and have the joy that John is talking about of sharing that fellowship, not just with God, but with one another. And let me just say this. The, the live stream, we're on live stream. Live stream is great. When I was with, when, when I was with Kim and we're visiting, we're visiting her parents. This was before her mom died. Now Kim is gone. She's visiting her dad now. Man, I was on live stream watching this fellowship, and I'm thankful. Um, I remember James was preaching the last time I was up there, and I was so encouraged by what James had to say. It was an encouragement to you. But the temptation is to isolate. That's the, that in, in, in the li- with the live stream technology and the post-COVID, coach, post-COVID culture, the temptation is to isolate from the fellowship of other believers. Pick my favorite preacher, listen to my favorite this. I don't have to worry about people upsetting me. I don't have to worry about anybody offending me. If the preacher offends me, I'll just turn them off. Right? That's isolation. And that's not God's design for us. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5. And that 
should bring us great joy. John says in verse 4, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That's his purpose. And, and when he says our joy, underline our and write corporate. That's corporate. That's not me joy. That's corporate joy. If you want joy, you're going to have to participate in the fellowship of the body. And that, John says, brings us joy. There is great joy in both the restored fellowship we have with God and that fellowship that we have with one another. In the second epistle of John, he says this, Though I have much to write you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that, so that, so that, are you circling it? Our joy may be complete. In third John, in the third epistle, I have much to write to you, John says, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon that we may talk face to face. The fellowship that we share together cannot be disconnected. The fellowship we share with God cannot be disconnected from the fellowship we share with one another. And John says this in the third epistle. And dads, I hope, I hope you can relate to this in your working here. John says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in truth. That's our goal, dads. That's what we live for. That's what we should be living for, to see our children walk in truth. That brings me great joy. And I am so thankful for what God has done. Let me tell you, dads, it's not done in the flesh. It's only done in the power of the Spirit. And to our children, I say thank you for forgiving us when we do it all wrong. Thanks for the forgiveness that we have in that.